on the God of the moment, the God of the movement. Uh, and we're going to be uh, continuing to, to follow the story of the Israelites as they left Egypt. They left slavery uh, and, and set out into the wilderness to, to have a, a moment with God and to become the people that would become the nation of Israel. And so um, last week, um, Pastor was talking about the, the, the parting of the Red Sea. Uh, a very dramatic moment. I mean, if you're a film uh, buff, uh, you can think of, uh, of the, the old Charlton Heston movies where he stands and, you know, that was, that was groundbreaking special effects back in the day. Just blew people's minds. And, and it's still amazing to think about. I, I mean, uh, there are times when I've tried to imagine what it would have been like to stand there on the side of the ocean with my enemies bearing down on me and then just see God to create a way in front of me uh, to provide a way out. And so it was a very dramatic moment, and, and the Israelites were feeling pretty good about themselves. You have to imagine that as they got to the other side of the shore, and as the waters closed over the, their enemies, and, and their, their deliverance was complete, you have to imagine there was quite a few high fives and some fist pumps, right? They, they were pretty excited about things. Um, in fact, in the Bible, it records that, that they just broke into some spontaneous worship right there on the side of the seashore. So they were very excited. They'd been liberated from slavery, and the future looked bright. Uh, but th now they faced some pretty serious questions. You know, as they stood on the seashore and they looked out on the sea and they saw that it had closed in, they probably saw, uh, you know, the, the, the remains of the chariots and the horses and all that that had been chasing them. And they were happy about that. They were excited about that. But then they turned around, and in front of them, all they saw was just wilderness. And that's when the questions set in. It's like, okay. You know, God brought us out of Egypt. He saved us from Pharaoh. But what's next? You know, and so they had to ask themselves, what are we going to do now? You know, we're, we're in the desert. We, we've got this huge lot of people. We've only got so much food and water. Uh, and, and we don't really know what we're doing out here. God said, follow me. We followed him to here. But, but what's next for us? Um, and, and we're often the same way. Uh, we, we're... I don't know, there's something about us we're just hardwired to achieve, right? Um, we, we get excited about something, and, and we uh, get stuck into it, and then we, we tick the box. We think, okay, uh, you know, I, I went to that, that, that church service, and, and I heard the preacher preach, and, and I felt convicted, and I answered the call. I came down to the altar. I had a great time with God. But then you stand up, and you're like, okay, it's the next morning. I'm not at church anymore. What's next? You know, what do I do? We get excited by early gains. You know, if you take up a, a new activity, a new hobby, uh, you get better uh, in big chunks at the beginning, right? Uh, anybody who's ever tried to take up something like, like say, golf or painting or, or uh, you know, you want to start doing woodworking, whatever, you can go from, like, being a, a novice that can barely slap two befores together to actually creating something that's pretty decent uh, pretty quickly, but then eventually the, the, uh, the advances, they kind of level off, they kind of plateau, and you realize that, hey, I saw a lot of growth at the beginning, but now I'm in this new place, and, and, and if I'm going to continue to get better, it's going to take some hard work, it's going to take some dedication, it's going to take some discipline to get where I want to be. See, we get excited when we attain something. You know, we might have been saving money for a big purchase for a long time, uh, and then we finally go down to the car dealership and we plunk down our, our down payment or whatever it is that we've been saving. And, and man, we're so excited to look at that new car. It still smells great. You know, the tires are shining. I, I love this thing. 
But then the satisfaction of that goes away so quickly, doesn't it? You know, satisfaction of attainment, it, it's so fleeting. And so what we have to do in, in, uh, is we have to learn how to be uh, satisfied and we have to learn how to be, um, you know, d- content as we continue through the longer, slower process uh, that follows. See, walking with God is a marathon and it's not a sprint. And, uh, you know, if, if you've ever been in a race, you know, you've, you've probably seen those people that they go real hard right out of the gate and they're doing fine, but then you realize that they've run out of gas before they even hit the midpoint of the race. And it's, it can be the same way with God. Now, there's nothing wrong with being zealous if you are a new believer. Hey, you should be happy. You should be joyful because you have been set free, just like the Israelites. You have a new life. You've been forgiven. There's nothing wrong with that zeal. But that zeal's not going to carry you over. It's not going to carry you through the hard times in life because you're running right now. But eventually you're going to get popped in the mouth. And then you've got to say, okay, what am I going to do with that? So um, God understands that. And while he's happy that we're excited at the beginning, he also wants us to realize that this is going to be a long process. In fact, as the Israelites, they turned and they're like, okay, God, you delivered us from Egypt. And man, if you think about the ways that God delivered them from Egypt, you think about the plagues you know, that, that came on that land. I mean, that was a mighty, powerful, you can't deny that this had to have been God kind of thing. You come to the Red Sea, it's the same thing. That was a mighty, powerful demonstration of how God was going to provide deliverance. And now it's like, okay, what do we do? We're in the desert. And so as they asked their questions, God ultimately began to say to them, I want you to spend a long, long time, in fact, the rest of your life, getting to know everything that you can about me. And, and what they're going to do is they're going to continue to learn about who God is and what God is. What is his character? What is he like? They're going to learn that God is always present. They're going to learn that God is, is personally involved in their life. They're going to le- learn that God is providentially working on their behalf. He's going to learn that he's, he's providing all the resources they need. And they're going to learn that God is going to be patient with them. Those are all things that they're going to learn about God through the course of the journey. And, and we can know it up here, but sometimes it takes a little time for that knowledge to sink down to where we know it in our heart. But the next thing that, that uh, or the next mission that God had for the Israelites is that they needed to learn that where God guides, God also provides. And so if God brought them to the desert, you know, you think about a desert. A desert isn't a, isn't a real great place. It's not a garden. You know, there's not food in abundance. There's not water. There's not all the good things out in that desert. But if God had brought them to that desert, God was going to give them the provision they need to survive and even thrive in that desert. Now, about this statement, it says, where God guides, God provides. Notice that first part of that statement. That's a prerequisite, though, where God guides. You know, sometimes we find ourselves off on a path, and it wasn't the path that God took us to. And so the question is, we constantly have to be checking and saying, hey, God, is this where you're leading me? You know, now sometimes I'm a little jealous of the Israelites. If you read this story, you see that they were actually led by a physical manifestation of God. There was a pillar of fire by day or, or, or by, by night and, and a pillar of cloud by day. And so they could look and they could see and they could say, okay, there's the pillar and it's headed east. We need to go east. And sometimes the pillar would move and it would stop. And they'd say, okay, it's time to set up camp. They didn't have to you know, have a committee meeting to figure out, is this the, great, the, the, the right place to camp? It was just where God went, that's where they stopped. 
Now, I wish sometimes I had a pillar of fire in my life that said, hey, John, you need to go over here, right? Uh, you know, that would, that would make things so much easier. But if we will make sure that we've got this prerequisite in order, that we are only going where God guides us, then this promise follows through. If God guides us there, he's going to provide for you while you're there. When God leads you to, to do something, he's going to provide the people that you need to support it. He's going to provide the, the power that you need. He's going to provide the, the resources and the opportunities. If God asks you to do something, he's not going to just say, here's your mission, figure it out. No, all too often we'll find that as we obey God, as we move into those things that he calls us to do, we'll see the dominoes just begin to fall. We'll see everything just fall right into place. You know, it, you'll, you'll see someone come up to you and say, you know, I don't even usually come to this side of town, but for some reason I just was over here. And you'll see that, that, divine, uh, that divine plan just kind of fall into place. Now, if you're not seeing those things fall into place, that's when you step back and you say, God, what's going on? And so we're going to talk a little bit about what the Israelites faced as they were in the desert and how they learned these lessons that God was trying to teach them. So if you have your Bibles and you want to follow along, we're going to turn uh, to Exodus chapter 15. And, uh, and, and if you're uh, reading, if you can choose the, the different translations, we're actually using the New Living Translation today. So we're going to be in Exodus 15, uh, verses 22 through 27. And I'm going to stop and, and just make some comments as we go along through here. Okay, it says, Then Moses led the people of Israel away from the Red Sea, and they moved out into the desert of Shur. They traveled in this desert for three days without finding any water. Now, first comment there, three days, is about how far a human body can go without some water. You know, you go beyond that, you start experiencing the effects of dehydration. And as you know, we're, we're made up of almost 70% water. And so if you don't have that water, the body doesn't function properly. So we see here that they reached a limit. They reached a place where it's like, okay, we've gone as far as we can go. Now what's going to happen? So when they came to the, the oasis of Mara, the water was too bitter to drink. So they called the place Mara, which means bitter. Um, then the people complained and turned against Moses, and they said, what are we going to drink? They demanded. So Moses cried out to the Lord for help, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. And Moses threw it into the water, and this made the water good to drink. All right, another little comment here. When I was a kid, I, I used to wonder when I read this passage, I was like, what was it about that stick that was so special that fixed that water? You know, I thought, man, that must have been one magic stick, right? But it wasn't anything special about the piece of wood. It was the fact that they called to God. They said, how are you going to provide? He showed them something, and he gave them a physical representation that would show what was going on, really. Okay? So when he threw that stick and before all the people, and they saw Moses place the stick into the water, and he said, God told me to do this so that we would then be able to drink it, but guess what? The water became clean, the water became purified, and they were able to drink. So therefore, all of those people that saw it, that was a sign to them that God gave us a, 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 a mission, God gave us directions. When we followed them, then God's provision arrived. So let's continue reading. It says, It was there at Marah that the Lord set before them the following decree as a standard to test their faithfulness to Him. Note that phrase, a standard to test their faithfulness to Him. We're going to come back to that idea later. 
And then here's what God said. He said, if you will listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, obeying his commands and keeping all his decrees, then I will not make you suffer any of the diseases I sent on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord who heals you. And uh, I just want to point out there that this is kind of a, a weird thing that, you know, here we are, the, the, the Israelites are in the desert and they need water. And what's the promise that God makes to them? God promises that they won't suffer the effects of disease. How, how are water and disease related? Well, see, the, the Israelites are worried about water. I, I just need water to survive for today. But God is talking about whole health. Your whole body will be taken care of and provided for. Everything you need. So beyond just the water, I'm going to take care of anything you need. After leaving Marah, the Israelites traveled on to the oasis of Elam, where they found 12 springs and 70 palm trees, and they camped there beside the water. And the last thing I want to point out is that they found 12 springs. How many tribes were there in Israel? There were 12 tribes. How many springs were there? There were 12 springs. God had been leading them through the desert, and they didn't know where they were headed. All they know is that when they arrived there, there was a spring for each and every single one of those tribes. You know, see, so God was making the provision, and they were headed towards that provision, and they didn't even know it. But if they hadn't been obedient, if they hadn't followed God, they wouldn't have arrived at the place where God had already prepared what they needed. Now, one of the things we need to understand is that we follow God not because of what He does for us, but because He's good and He's worthy of following. Yes, He's our healer. He's our protector. He's our provider. He's our guide. He's our rescuer. He's our redeemer. However, your commitment to follow Him cannot rely on all of those things that He does for you. And here's why. Because eventually there's going to come a time in your life where you need something and He doesn't come through for you. Or at least it seems that way. Because sometimes the way He comes through for us is by saying no. Or sometimes He comes through for us, but it's not the way we wanted Him to. You know, and so if, if you are relying, if your faith in him, if your obedience to God relies on him doing the things, doing things your way, you're going to get disappointed. That's just not how life with God works. And so that was something that the, that the Israelites had to learn as well. See, so many things happen in our life and so many things happen in our world that we just can't understand. We can't explain because we don't see things from the way God sees them. See, the mysteries of God, it, it's hard for us. And, and, uh, and, and we might ask ourselves, why did one person receive a miraculous healing, and yet I've been sitting over here with my bum knee for years? You know? And, and you might think that's unfair. Why, why am I not receiving the healing that I want, God? Or you could even just look at something as simple as, you know, why is one person born into, into abject poverty where they don't have anything they need, and the, the other person is born into privilege, they got so much money they don't know what to do with themselves? How can that be fair? How can that be part of God's plan? We don't always understand what and why God is doing what He's doing. But if we will be obedient, if we will trust Him, He has the best pathway for our life, as we talked about Wednesday, if you were in the young adults class. But what we have to understand is that it's almost like a tapestry. I don't know if any of you guys have ever looked at a tapestry before, uh, but it's a very special way of weaving cloth. Now, like if you've got a shirt or a sweater or something like that, the way they weave it, you're going to see both the, 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 the threads that go horizontally, you're going to see the threads that go vertically, and you're going to see the whole thing because it's just a flat piece of cloth. But when you look at a tapestry, there's multiple layers, and what you don't realize is that there's, there's these threads called the warp, this is the framework. That's on the back. You don't even see what's going on there. 
And that's what holds the whole thing together, though. If you don't have those warp threads, the whole tapestry falls apart. And so sometimes what God is doing in our life is something that we can't see. It's on the backside. But it's so important. If it wasn't there, the whole thing would fall apart. And then on the front of the warp, you have the weft threads. Okay, and so those are the ones that you see. Those are the pretty ones, you know. They'll be brightly colored. You know, some of them will be, you know, uh, beautiful scarlets and blues and purples. Uh, sometimes they would even take gold and spin it out into really thin pieces of thread, and there would be actual gold woven into the tapestry. And so sometimes you look at the threads, and, and you don't understand, well, why is this one bright and beautiful, and this one is dark and ugly and brown and gross? You know, but it, it takes all of them together to create the picture. You can get up close on a tapestry and you can look at it and it might be beautiful up close. But until you step back and see the whole picture, you don't see the true beauty of what the, the, the weaver has created. And it's the same with God. Sometimes we're, when we're in a moment, when we're up close, when we're in the middle of it, we don't understand, why am I the brown thread and he's the one that's gold or, or she's blue? or you know, I, lo I love that beautiful purple of yellow. It just stands out. But what we don't understand is that you've got to have all of it. You know, if every color were bright, if every color were, were in your face, it would just be a, a, a chaos of color and, and noise. When you have the contrast, when you have the different colors all woven together, that's when you see the plan that creates something beautiful. And it's the same way in our lives. Let's go back to the scripture. Now we're going to go, uh, if you're reading through the Bible, we're just right here in the next chapter. We're going to be in verse 16, uh, or chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. It says, Then the whole community of Israel set out from Elam and journeyed into the wilderness of Sin. Alright, so that's the first note here. Uh, that, that's just a geographical name. It doesn't have anything to do with you know, sin as we understand that concept theologically. It, it's related to like Mount Sinai. It's the, you know, the same root there. Alright, so the wilderness of sin between Elam and Mount Sinai. When they arrived there on the 15th day of the second month, one month after leaving the land of Egypt. All right, so let's take another note there. We're in the second month, the 15th day of the month. That's roughly 40 to 45 days after they left Egypt, right? And again, we see, if you know anything about biology, it's about 40 days that you can go without food, and then the body begins to start breaking down. It's not functioning the way it needs. It needs some nutrition. So here we see that God has led them into the desert, and he's brought them to another limit. He's pushed them to another limit. And so now it's like, okay, you trusted him with the water. Do you trust him with the food? Do you trust him with your next need? And so um, there too, the whole community of Israel complained about Moses and Aaron. They said, if only the Lord had killed us back in Egypt, they moaned. There we sat around pots filled with meat and ate all the bread we wanted. But now you have brought us into this wilderness to starve us all to death. Now, Let's remember where they were. They were in Egypt. They were in slavery, right? Now, I don't know about you, but I, I've never heard of any slave that was living high, you know, and was sitting around and they could eat all the beef stew they wanted, you know. But, but they had these, these rose-tinted uh, glasses. We were, they were looking back to a, to a good old days that never really was. And yet, when they were in the, in the, 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 the pain of the moment, they're like, well, I want to go back to that even though that wasn't good for them. That wasn't God's plan for them. Let's continue on. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, 
Look, I'm going to rain down food from heaven for you. Each day the people can go out and pick up as much food as they need for that day. I will test them in this to see whether or not they will follow my instructions. And on the sixth day they will gather food, and when they prepare it, there will be twice as much as usual. Again, let's notice there's, a, there's an idea of testing here. Can they follow the instructions? Will they keep the Sabbath like they were instructed? So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, By evening you will realize that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. In the morning you will see the glory of the Lord because he's heard your complaints which are against him, not against us. What, we have, done, what have we done that you should complain against us? Then Moses added, The Lord will give you meat in the evening and bread to satisfy you in the morning, for he has heard all of your complaints against him. What have we done? Yes, your complaints are against the Lord, not against us. We won't continue on, but if you know the story, uh, or if you don't, this is where God began to provide. He, he provided a huge amount of quail. Quail came and settled on the camp of the Israelites, and they were able to get all the food they could eat. They had all the quail wings, chicken wings. I don't know if they had buffalo sauce, but they had all they could eat. And then the next morning, there was the, the, the manna waiting for them. All they had to do was go out, pick it up off the ground, and they could fashion it into, into bread and into, into cakes so that they could eat. And, and God provided for them. And not only did he provide for them each and every day, they had the food they needed, but he gave them extra on Saturday so that on Sunday morning they were ready to go. Well, it was the other way around, on Friday so that they could do Saturday. But, but you know what I'm saying. God provided for them so that, hey, I'm going to give you extra today so that you can take a day off. God provided everything they need even if they didn't see, us, no, see it. So God provides for us not because of what we do for Him, but because of His patient, pursuing love for us. Alright? So here we have the Israelites. They've been through one test. They sort of passed the test at Marah, right? Uh, you know, God gave them some new knowledge, some new understanding that He was going to take care of them. Then He brings them out to the limits of their food supplies, and, and they're tested again. And, and what we realize is that every time they came up against a test, what did they do? They started grumbling. They started complaining, right? And yet God didn't say, well, I'm done with these people. No, he took care of them anyway. That's God's grace in action. And we're the same way. I'm glad God's gracious because there's far too many times I've been complaining, you know, when I had no reason to. But anyway, we are so much like these Israelites, we complain about life in the wilderness. We long for those old days of slavery where we sat around our pots of meat. You know, we, we want things the way we want them. It's almost like the difference between like fast food and, and a good home-cooked meal, right? Now you look up here, you see me, you can think, yeah, that guy appreciates a good five guys bacon cheeseburger and fries. That's right, I do appreciate those things. There are times when I'm hungry and it's like, oh man, I'm going to hit that Chick-fil-A drive through I'm going to get me some Jesus chicken, right? It's going to be so good, get the pickles on top and all that. You know, that's true. Those things are good. They sustain us. But there's a difference between that kind of food and sitting down to throw down at a good home-cooked meal, right? You know, th there's nothing like a, a, a nice home-cooked home tray of lasagna or, or a big pot of chili that someone has cooked and stewed down and, and, and put all the spices in and it's so good. And, and you can walk in the house sometimes and you smell the cornbread cooking. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Man, there's just nothing like... <laughs> pastor's excited about that there's nothing like a good home-cooked meal you can really throw down like that 
And see, we find ourselves spiritually longing for fast food. We want the quick answer. We want, we want it right now. God, I, I need something. I need it right now. But if you will be patient, see, a home-cooked meal doesn't come to you as quick as the Chick-fil-A drive-thru. You can hit that Chick-fil-A drive-thru and be out in, in five minutes, even when the line's wrapped around the building. But you come home, if you're going to cook a meal, it's going to take some time. It's going to take some effort. You're going to have to be patient. And that's harder. But God wants us to learn how to be patient and wait for Him to provide for us because what He has in store for us is better than a Chick-fil-A sandwich. He's got something better waiting. So while we long for that fast food, God has in mind a home-cooked comfort food feast as long as we're willing to submit and wait and obey and be patient. And here's the other thing. We, we, the, the second lesson that we can learn from these passages we've read so far is that we see this idea that God tested the Israelites. He tested them at Morrow. Do you trust me to provide the water you need? He tested them in the wilderness of sin. Do you trust me to give you the food, the nutrition that you need? But God is giving them tests not so that He can fail them, but, but so He can bless them even more. See, some of us, when you hear that idea that, that God's going to test you, you just start getting anxious already, right? Just Maybe tests weren't a good, uh, they, they weren't a good experience for you in school. You see, there are, there are people who are good test takers, and there are people who are bad test takers. And when you tell someone, that, oh, this is going to be on the test, they just get all worked up, you know, I, I'm not, I don't like this. And, and it's not necessarily because they don't know the information, right? There's a lot of people that they know the info, but they just can't pass the test. And then there's other people that maybe they can pass the test, but they don't know the info. In fact, I've seen some of you drive. I know you passed the driver's license test, but you don't know how to use that blinker, right? <laughs> but tests are not something that's supposed to make us anxious. It's not something that's supposed to give us fear. It's not, you know, God's not evaluating you to, to say, oh, you've been found lacking. No, a test is an opportunity for you to show your growth. When I was in school, I had a teacher who she would give us a, a pretest before we began each uh, section of the curriculum. She would say, okay, before we start learning this thing about chemistry or whatever it was, she would say, let's take a test and see what you already know. And she said, don't stress out. It doesn't apply towards your grade. You're probably going to fail this, but we just, I, don't, I just want to see what you already know. And so we would take the test, and sure enough, we would bomb it, you know, because we hadn't learned that information yet. You know, and so then she would look at that pretest and she would say, okay, they need to know a little bit more about this subject, or I need to maybe explain this to them and, and, and take a little more time on it. And so then later she would, she would teach us and she would, she would instruct us, and then when we would come back and we would take that final exam, we would do great. And you could go back and you could look. You could say, hey, look, on that pretest, I bombed it. I made like a 42, right? But when the final exam came, look at me. I'm top of the class. I got a 95. Why? Because it was an opportunity for you to show how much you've grown in your wisdom and in your knowledge. And it's the same way with God. When God tests you, it's not because he wants a reason to smack you on the back of the head and say you messed up again. It's because he wants to show you that, hey, you're growing. You're making some progress. You know, remember that thing you faced five years ago? Remember how I tested you then and, and I allowed something to come into your life and it was a real struggle for you? I sent something very similar just last week and you just breezed right through it. Look at that. Look how much you trust me now. Look how much further along we are. And so God is testing us so that we can show our growth. He's asking us, will you walk by faith, demonstrated by your obedience? It's one thing to say, I wa I'm walking by faith. It's another thing to actually do it. 
you know. So what do we mean? Well, God has given us some instructions. You know, this is what you're to do. You know, you're supposed to tithe. You're not supposed to forsake the the gathering of the brethren, you know, and and all of these different things that God asks us to do, not because he's legalistic and he wants us to see if we're good at checking the things off the list, but he does it because we show our faith by our obedience. And then when we show that obedience, God has more things in store for us. If we wait until we see that it's safe, we're never going to make it. I love the Indiana Jones movies, and and if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and the the quest for the Holy Grail, he comes to the place where he has to take a step of faith. It says, I forget the the exact phrase, but it says, uh, a man of righteousness will take a step by faith, and he comes up to to this uh, big gorge or a chasm, and he has to walk across, and there's a pathway in front of him, but he can't see it. So he has to learn how to take that step of faith to walk on it to get where he needed to be. And God has the same thing for us. Many times God will put opportunities in your path for you to show your growth, to show how far you've come from where you used to be. And if you can pass that test, you'll begin to see a pattern emerge in your life. I'm going to go back to school again, and, and, and we're going to talk about math. So those of you who have you know, math PTSD, just calm down. It's okay. But, you know, it, it's almost like graphing out on, on a chart. You know, you can see at, at this time, this is where I was. And then I had a little downward, but then I went back up. And then a little more downward, and then a little back up. And, and as you chain those points of data together, you begin to see a trend emerge. You begin to see, oh, my curve is going up. Or you can see my curve is going down. I need to do something about that. But either way, each one of those tests is a point of data where you can say, you know, God, I thought I was further along than I was. I need you to show me again how to be faithful, how to obey, how how to trust you more. And God will do that. Okay, let's go back to Scripture. We're going to go to Exodus chapter 17 now. So let's just flip the page over here. And, uh, and we're going to come back and we're going to see the next uh, step in, in the Israelite story. It says, At the Lord's command, the whole community of Israel left the wilderness of sin and moved from place to place. So let me point that out again. They're camping in the wilderness. They stayed at that oasis that God provided for them for a while. But they didn't just eventually decide, ah, I'm going to leave the oasis. No, God told them it's time to move on. It's time to go to the next level. And so they had to follow if they wanted to stay in his plan. Eventually they camped at Rephidim, but there was no water there for the people to drink. So once more the people complained against Moses, Give us water to drink, they demanded. Quiet, Moses replied. Why are you complaining against me, and why are you testing the Lord? All right, we see Moses is starting to get a little fed up at this point. You know, how many times are we going to go through this process where we have a need, we're waiting on God to answer, and you're going to start complaining against me? I'm not the one that led you out here. God led you out here. If he led you, he's going to provide for you. Moses, was he, he got the message, but the people weren't getting it. And he said, hey, you guys are trying to test the Lord. But that's not the test that was supposed to happen. They were being tested. They're not testing the Lord. Anyway, but tormented by thirst, they continued to argue argue with Moses. They said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? Are you trying to kill us, our children, and our livestock with thirst? Then Moses cried out to the Lord, what should I do with these people? They're ready to stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, walk out in front of the people. Take your staff, the one you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some of the elders of Israel to join you. Now this is interesting, if you look at this. Why did God tell him to take your staff, and he, he called back, he, he, he pointed back, remember when you used this staff, 
all right? And I use this staff to provide for you, to do something powerful in your life. And the same thing, why are the elders there? Well, because I'm about to do something. I'm going to provide for these Israelites again. I want some witnesses there. I want some people who can say, I was there when God came through for us. I was there when God provided, when that miracle occurred. And so God is seeing that these Israelites, they're just not getting it. They need a reminder. And so uh, let's carry on. He said, take the staff that you struck the water and the elders of Israel to join you. He said, I will stand before you on the rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock and water will come gushing out. Then the people will be able to drink. So Moses struck the rock as he was told and water gushed out as the elders looked on. See, we need reminders sometimes. You know, like the Israelites, we, we have a short attention span. And, and, and we just need sometimes those touch points where we can go back and say, I don't know why I'm going through what I'm going through right now. Uh, I don't know why God hasn't given me an answer yet. I don't know why the provision isn't here yet. But I do remember in the past where God came through for me. And those become touch points for you. They, come, uh, they become uh, 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 firm foundations where you can say, my faith rests on that. Even though I'm, I'm struggling now, I'm doubting now, I, I can point to that time in, in my life and I know that God came through me in that situation. So now I have the faith that He's going to come through for me in this situation here and now. See, God ultimately wants us to see that He provides for us in every way. The biggest provision of all is the redemption that He offered when Jesus died for us on the cross. See, we talked last week about how uh, everything that happened in the Old Testament, it all points towards the cross. And you can say, well, well, how does that work? You know, God was dealing with the Israelites. How does that point to the cross? Everything in the Old Testament was preserved for a reason. It's a, it's a sign. It's a shadow. It, it, it gives us the same idea that comes to its fullest expression in the cross. See, the true provision uh, uh, that God gives us is not just manna and quail and water from rocks in the desert. He's providing for us entirely. He gives us the bread of life that gives us spiritual life. The Israelites, as they followed God, they had needs. And time after time after time, God met those needs. He came through. There was never a time when they needed something and God didn't show up. And they made some missteps along the way. You know, as you continue to read, they, they complained, they grumbled, they turned against their leaders, they didn't trust the Lord. And yet each time they had a need, God provided for them. And the same is true for us as well. We have needs as well. Now, thankfully, we live in a time of plenty, and, and we, have, we have more food than we know what to do with, right? We, we can just walk over to a spigot and turn the, turn the faucet handle, and out comes good, clean water. It's not bitter like it was at Mara. It's not gross. It's not green and rusty, unless you've got some of that old well water, right? You know, the stuff that comes out orange sometimes. I don't know. But anyway, you know, we, we have so much that we need. We're so blessed. But we do still have needs. We do still need God every day. Because we have children that we have to raise. We have finances that have to be met. We have physical needs, with, whether it's illness or, or, or just, you know, my body is not functioning the way it used to and, and I need to, to take care of some things. We have needs for energy, right? So many of us, we, we don't sleep enough at night and we don't uh, rest and we don't take care of ourselves and we have needs. And God's going to provide for all of those. But the need that has never, ever changed is the need that has been the same since the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve made their terrible decision, their terrible mistake 
We've all needed some forgiveness. We've all needed a path to get back to God. So there's a practical side to this. You might say, well, why am I reading about a bunch of malcontent complainers wandering around in the desert thousands of years ago? What, what does this have to do with me? I don't, li- I don't even like to camp. You're not going to find me in a desert. You're not going to find me out there without enough you know, granola bars to sustain me. I'm, if I go camping, I'm taking everything I need with me. So why am I reading about this? Well, it's because there's a principle behind it. And there's a practical side behind it. God is giving us this message in Scripture to show us how He's been faithful to others. Especially if you're early on in your faith, if you've not been a believer for very long, you can't point back and say, hey, this is that time God took care of me. You're just starting out on this journey. You don't have that background and you don't have that history to look to. So where do you get your history from? You look in the Scripture and you see how God came through for righteous people that obeyed and submitted and followed Him and He did it again and again and again, even when they made bad decisions, even when they grumbled and even when they complained, even when they had bad attitudes. God was gracious and He took care of them. So that is the practical side of why we still look at this Scripture and we look back at how God took care of of a bunch of grumpy people in the desert, you know, It's good that He took care of them because that means He could take care of us today. So, we need those reminders. You know, we have a lot of things that that we remind ourselves with. Uh, I'm so bad about remembering things that I I use my phone constantly. In fact, uh, I I remember not too long ago, Justin, uh, my my brother-in-law, asked me to do something, and so I immediately took out my phone and I said, Hey Siri, I need you to remind me on Monday morning at at 10 o'clock because I know that I'll be at work and I'll be sitting in front of my computer. I need you to remind me to send him this email, right? I'm so glad I have this thing because I'm about as forgetful as, as all get out, you know? Uh, when I try to learn people's names, I know I'm going to tell, call you the wrong name about 87 times before I get it right. You might even be hey buddy or hey pal for a little while until I, I get it going, right? We have so many things that we use to remind us. We have planners, we have calendars and schedules, things that we can use to remind ourselves. Thankfully, we don't have to do the old string around the finger. You know, Anybody here watch It's a Wonderful Life? We watched that again over Christmas. And, and uh, the, the uncle at the bank and loan family, I think he had a string on every finger. And he had so many he couldn't remember what the strings were for. You know? But we need reminders in our life. And so God provides reminders to us. And that's why it's important that you read your scripture every day. Because, that, hey, what did I read today? That's a reminder. You know, we've been doing some, some Bible devotions as a group uh, in the young adults group. We, we use the Bible app and we've been going through some scripture and some devotions together. And it's interesting to see how, you know, sometimes people will comment and say, man, that scripture, it was short, but it's reminding me of, of a truth that I need to remember in my life. It's the same way when we pray. You call God in heaven. You call Him on your prayer phone and you say, Hey God, just re- I need a reminder today. I need you to, to, to remind me how you took care, for, took care of me and how you love me and how you're going to provide for me. And these are the things that I need in this moment. And the things I need this month and the things I need this year are different than the things I needed last year. But the things that I need right now, they're not a surprise for you. You've been planning for it. You know, I was talking to a friend this week who uh, got some pretty bad news. It's some, uh, he he lost, ended up losing his job, and so now he's having to go a different route. And, and he's like, man, it, it wouldn't be a big deal if it was just me. He's like, but I, I've got a wife, and I've got children that I've got to take care of, and, and I don't know what I'm going to do. He said, I'm, I'm trying to stay positive because the whole reason I'm in this job is because I was trying to follow what I thought God wanted me to do. 
And so I just prayed with him and I said, hey, listen, you've got to remember that if God guided you there, then he's not surprised by what has now happened. And if he's brought you to this place, he's going to provide for you. And I want to add one more thing. Even if you aren't where God has guided you, even if you've made some poor decisions, even if you've ended up in a place where God never intended for you to be, that doesn't mean that God isn't gracious and he's not still going to take care of you. You know, he, you might end up in a place where God had no intention of you being, but because you have free will, because you have the ability to say, God, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm not going to follow you right now. Sometimes we find ourselves in a place where it's like, oh, God, this was terrible. This was a, uh, I've made a huge mistake. God, I need you to save me. I need you to get me out of this. God still has provision for you. In fact, he knew you were going to come to that place of desperation. And he was already making plans on how to dig you out of that hole that you dug for yourself. So just be patient and wait on God's provision. So... Continuing with this idea of a reminder, it's the second Sunday of the month. We're actually going to take communion. So if, if the uh, uh, musicians would come on up, we're going to, uh, they'll, they'll play a little something, and the ushers can go ahead and come forward with the elements. They're going to distribute those. And why don't we just uh, pass the plates in, in the crowd and let everybody sit. And so while they're doing that, I'm going to continue talking for just a minute. When I was a kid and I read about the Israelites, I used, like I had a lot of disdain for them. I thought, man, these guys are the dumbest people I've ever heard of. And like, I had no patience for them. It, it, it's, it's like God is speaking to you so clearly. You know, He's performing miracles on your behalf. He's, he's giving you quail from heaven when you have no food. He's, he's providing manna on, in, in the morning when you walk outside your, the door of your tent. He's giving you water where there was no spring. You know, God is taking care of you in so many different ways. And so I had a lot of disdain for the Israelites. I thought these guys are the dumbest people ever. And it wasn't just the Old Testament. I thought the same thing about the disciples in the New Testament. I thought, man, they had Jesus right there teaching them. You guys can go ahead and distribute the elements while I'm talking. But God would tell them to do something. They'd do the exact opposite. God would provide for them, and they'd be ungrateful. And they'd complain about what God gave them and what God did for them. And it seemed like they couldn't remember anything that God had done for them. You know, as I try to put myself in their shoes, I'm in the desert, and I'm remembering that time when God opened the sea and provided a dry path for me to walk through. And, and how could you then... It, it wasn't even years later. It's just a few months later. They're forgetting about how God provided for them in a miraculous way. And the older I've gotten, though, the more, uh, the more uh, forgiving of the Israelites I've become. Because as I look at my life, I see that there have been a lot of times where I didn't remember things that God had done for me. I saw a lot more of myself in the Israelites than I would like to admit. And so as I continue in my walk, and, and I saw how they messed up, and God forgave them. They messed up, God provided for them. They complained, God provided anyway. They, they needed something, and they, they were look, tried to take care of it themselves rather than looking to God, and yet God still worked on their behalf. And so I, I, I'm, I'm feeling a little more forgiveness for them. I can relate a little more. Just like the Israelites, we have a short memory. And sometimes we forget those things that God has done for us in the past. And that is part of why Jesus gave us this sacrament of communion. It's to serve as a reminder. 
And, and it's interesting as I begin to think about what the elements mean when we take communion. There, there's many different layers of meaning behind communion. You can look at the fact that, you know, because we're all taking this together, it symbolizes the unity that we all have, that we're all part of the same body of Christ. You can look at the fact that we have bread and we have the cup and that these things provide for us physically. The, the bread symbolizes the nourishment that we receive and the cup represents the, 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 the water that our bodies have to have to survive. But ultimately, the thing that you should remember most every time you take communion is that this bread and this cup symbolizes the sacrifice that, that Jesus made on your behalf. He took your sins on Himself. He experienced the, 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 the displeasure of God on your behalf. He died. His body was broken on your behalf. His blood was spilled on your behalf. And so each time we take this communion, it's to serve as a reminder for that. And so um, I just want you to remember, and as we take communion today, I want you to think back to where you were. You know, some of us have some pretty dramatic stories in our past of things that God has delivered us from. Ways that God came through and, and there's no other explanation. The doctors don't know why the tumor shrank. You know, the, the, the police officers that pulled you out of that wreck say, I don't know how you survived this. We all have things like that in our past. And, and sometimes we just need a reminder. So as we take communion today, I want you to remember what God has done for you and then let that become a foundation of your faith that you can use to say, you know what, I don't know how God's providing in this situation, but He took care of me in the past, and He's going to take care of me here today with my needs. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23-25 through 25 says, Then the Lord, on the night when He was betrayed, He took the bread, and when He'd given thanks, He broke it. And He said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take the bread. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your body. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Take the cup, please. Thank you, Lord. If you'd all stand, I'd like to pray and then we will close for today. Father God, we thank you for the, the ways that you have provided for us in the past. We thank you that every time we've had a need, you have been working behind the scenes to provide for us. Lord God, we thank you for this story of the Israelites and how they had to learn how to walk with you, how to trust you, we thank you that the story that they that is preserved for us doesn't just show victory after victory after victory, but it shows misstep and grace. It shows mistake and forgiveness. It shows uh, uh, a lack of trust in you and provision anyway. That's comforting to us because, Lord, each and every day we make missteps. We say things we shouldn't. We do things we shouldn't. We don't trust you the way that we should. But Father God, we thank you that no matter what happens, that grace is still there for us. So Lord God, I pray that you would continue to be with us as we face tests 
that come up in our life. Lord, let us not be afraid of the test. Let us not be worried, but let us see it for what it is, an opportunity to show how far we've come in our belief and in our faith in you. Father God, I pray for the people in this room. Some of them are being tested today. Some of them are being tested beyond what they think they can bear. But Father God, I know that you have provision for them. Lord, I know that you've got springs in the desert that's already waiting for them. And that if they will just continue to follow you, if they will continue to obey, that they will receive the answers that they need. Father God, I pray that you would be with everyone in this room. Help us to grow in our faith. Help us to learn more about you. To spend a long time getting to know everything there is to know about you. And to know that we can rely on you and trust you. We pray in Jesus' name.